And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I shall write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In these, this is the, the sixth of the seven letters. And in these letters, he begins them all kind of similarly. You know, he says to the angel of the Spirit of the, in the church and all of this good stuff, write. And John then starts in, usually with something that's going well. He will say something like, I know your deeds or I know your works. And then he'll say, you know, you've been strong and you've done this and it's all good. And then he'll say, but you got a problem. Well, not there, there, there are two exceptions to this rule. Really, well, I guess three. There's, there's two that don't have big problems. But there are two main exceptions. Philadelphia is one, and Laodicea that we will look at next week is the other. Philadelphia, he never mentions a problem. Now, he mentions the trials they're going through, and he mentions the outside forces, but he never mentions an internal problem that threatens their security and their spiritual strength. And that's incredible when you really think about that. Because every church has its problems. Every church has its weaknesses. And surely Philadelphia did as well. But when, when whatever it is that, that those weaknesses would be are either being honestly and openly dealt with to the point or are, are minimal enough that Jesus doesn't even bother to take the time to mention them, you know you're in a good place. You know what I mean? That would be great, wouldn't it? And so he says to Philadelphia... I know your works, and if they, if, and they would have. They sat down, they read all these letters. And if they, since they read number five, they might have been nervous. Because five was a little rough last week, wasn't it? When you look at what Jesus had to say to that church, woo, you don't want to get that letter. And they might have been saying, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And he says, I know your works. I know that you're small. I know you're not that strong. I know you've got people that are, that are beating down on you from the outside. And they're going, Okay, that's okay. He, he gets our situation. And I want you to hold on. And I want you to, to, to withstand. I want you to continue being uh, people who can patiently endure trial and still hold on to their faith. And they go, okay, okay, he's still in the first shoe. When's the second shoe coming? And he says, Here, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And they all went, Oh, good. You know, there had to be like a sigh of relief that that service, right? Where they, oh, good. That's that's not so bad. Woo-wee. So they they had to feel pretty good and and encouraged by the letter. But more than that, 
are the things that he says specifically that we want to get into. Now, I will just warn you this morning, my printer did me wrong and I came here and that printer did me wrong, so I am flying blind on this, so to speak. The city of, of Philadelphia, not in Pennsylvania. Let's get that out of the way. You know, where's the biggest pencil in the world? In Pennsylvania. That's my sister's joke. That's not where they are. We're still over there in Asia. And, uh, of course, you can see it. It's right there between Sardis and Laodicea. The printer spoke in tongues this morning, and it might have worn off on me. Uh, but they're, they're there between Sardis and Laodicea. It was a, a city of trade, a city of agriculture. So they had, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people coming through all the time, and the markets would have been a big deal. But Philadelphia, like the other six cities, uh, significant to Jesus, not necessarily significant to the rest of the world as much. It was named after uh, King Atticlus II Philadelphus. Is that how you say that? I don't know. Uh, you're an English minor and it's not English, so I don't know why I looked at you. I have no idea. The, uh, but it was named for him and named City of Brotherly Love, as you already know because you know about our Philadelphia, because he and his brother loved each other very much, and so they named the city in their honor and all that good stuff. And this is all that's left in that picture there. you got some pillars and some foundations and, and the hill behind. And, that, you know, there are two things about that. It is incredible in some ways that we have as much as we do from a city that's 2,000 years ago. And, and you look at the ruins of these, these different places as we go through Ephesus, actually quite a bit. You have the amphitheater and stuff. But really, it's pretty incredible that we have anything more than dust. And that itself is the second thing. That's a good reminder, isn't it? All the things that we sweat over, all the things we work so hard on, all of that stuff. You see that? You'd be lucky if it makes it there. Nobody's chariot parked out in front of their house is still parked there in the ruins of Philadelphia. It's long gone. So, you know, you might as well just admit it. That thing's going to wear out. You're going to buy one from Ralph, and then that one's going to wear out. That's just the way it is, right? It's going to turn into dust. So, it's just the way... Is that good? Okay. <laughs> I owe him this week, so, you know, somebody go buy him a truck. The, 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 the truth is that what we... What we Chase after is so temporary. And that's not the part of the letter really so much. But it's a good reminder when we look at these ruins. Just how temporary so many things are. And the, the things that, that, that were... Those who were persecuting the church at Philadelphia were persecuting them toward a gain that is now just rubble and dust. But where is the church that was at Philadelphia? Those people are, as we read both in this letter and in our call to worship this morning, are before their God. In our call to worship, that passage said, those who have made it through all of this persecution, all the Roman Empire and, and some of the people like the, the silversmith who persecuted Paul, those people threw everything they had at the church. And what did it get them? It got those people judgment. And what did it get the church? Victory. They stood there surrounding the throne of God. 
surrounding His throne, the One who delivered them, praising Him for deliverance. And He says to them, you will know no more hunger, no more thirst, no more sickness, and I will wipe away every tear. They didn't lose. So whatever they went through, whatever hardship they faced, however much was stolen from them, some of them were were taken from their homes, some of them put to death, some of them, their spouses were imprisoned, some of them executed. For all that they lost, they won. Ten, twenty, a hundredfold, just as Jesus said that they would. And it's incredible to know that God keeps all those promises. And it's also a sober reminder to know that the stuff that's offered to you as an alternative is dust. Just nothing but dust. Jesus tells them these things in verse 8. He says, I know your works. And I mentioned, you know, you might be nervous about that. But this church, he says, I'm proud of you. And you know, how good is that to know that there, are, there is a way you can live where Jesus will actually look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I am so proud of you. I just want you to hang on and hold on tight because you actually are living the life that I called you to. You're doing good. Okay? Just remain faithful. In verse 10, 9 to 10, he says, and I've got a door. And I want to look at this. Go back in your, in your Bibles and put your eyeballs on this. Uh, actually, you know what? Before I get there, nah, I'll come back to the eight. I'm going to come back to eight in a minute. Y'all just put a bookmark and throw it at me if you have to. Verse nine. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are, are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. When we get this picture here of Jesus as one who holds the door open, he then addresses their critics and says, I realize there are people who are claiming to be my people. That's his point when he says they claim to be Jews. They're claiming to be my people. This is not a problem we deal with in our time. This was a problem they dealt with. There was, was uh, Roman persecution of the church, but there was also some Jewish persecution of the church. It wasn't huge and in great numbers, but it existed. And in certain places, they really caused a lot of trouble. They were part of the riot that started at Ephesus. And several, several times Paul had that problem, and so did this church. And, of course, their argument was, you guys are a bunch of heretics. You Christians are crazy. You shouldn't be following Jesus. You ought to be listening to what we, we believed all the time. And that was if they were the good ones. Some of them were more corrupt, and they had a twisted, perverted version of Judaism. He says, and those guys are just plain liars. They're not just wrong. Some of them were just, they just were wrong about Jesus being the Messiah. Some of them had a perverted Judaism and persecuted the church. He says, listen, don't let that get to you. Because not only will I expose the falsehood that's there, I will have them bow down to you in humility and admit that you were only holding to what I told you to hold to and that my gospel was true and right all along, and that I love you. You hold on. I will silence your critics. I'll take care of that. You just do what you know is right. And let me, let me go back up to verse 8 because I love this part. When he says, after he says, I know your, your works, he says, I've set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This idea of keeping the door open. Go back up to verse 7. 
the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. This is Old Testament talk that he's got. He's going back to a phrase that was used about a doorkeeper who would hold the door open because of God had said, He will hold it open and you will receive my protection and you will receive my blessings and you're going to get your kingdom back. This was when Israel was undergoing persecution themselves. And so immediately this communicates to the church at Philadelphia. Man, we've heard those words before. Where, oh, yeah, He's delivered us before. And they describe, or, or this describes Jesus as being the one who holds the keys of David. He has the authority, the only one who can say who gets in and who gets out. That was part of the message. You go back to the Old Testament, it says who gets in and who gets out. And, and those that don't belong, he will shut the door and lock it. And those that belong, he will open it up and throw it open. And you will be able to come on in. And Jesus says, those guys are telling you, you don't belong here. You don't belong here as God's people. And I'm telling you, I am the one who holds the door open and I don't care what anybody says about you. You're mine. Nobody can shut that door and say they don't belong here. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how you were born, to whom you were born, what, what shape or color you are. If you're mine by faith, you're mine by faith, and no one can close that door. You belong right here with me. Don't let them fool you. There's just this image of the authority of Jesus, but also of the welcome of Jesus. Later on in the book of Revelation, he will describe the city of God, which he says here, he's going to put the, the name of the city of God right on you. So, part of the picture here. He will describe it as a place where the gates never close. You know the old hymn, the gates swing outward never? That's a weird phrase, but you know the song. The whole image is, ain't nobody going to shut the door on you. When God wants you here, he keeps the light on for you. Little Motel 6, you know. He keeps the light on for you and you know you always have a home in the kingdom of God. Don't ever let anybody fool you. They needed to know that when part of the persecution they were receiving was not just the Roman stuff, but when there's some that has a bit of the Word of God mixed in it and they start to question, well, are they right or are we right? And if they're right, we're not even faithful. He says, no, I know you're faithful. And don't let anybody tell you that I've slammed the door on you because I have not. And nobody but me has the right to say whether you're in or whether you're out. Only Jesus. So it's an important part of that, that picture. He commends them in verse 10 for having been faithful and patient. He says you have patiently endured what you're going through. Isn't that a hard thing sometimes to do? We might be able to get through things. But to get through something and be patient while you do it. Listen, I can drive through Manhattan. That's no problem. But to patiently drive through Manhattan, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. One time we went to the New York Auto Show. And we used to, every year, the guys from church would go, go together to the New York Auto Show and Cat's Deli. And if you don't know Cat's Deli, let me just tell you, you get yourself a plane ticket, you fly to LaGuardia, you get on the subway, you go over there, and you need to repent because I know y'all didn't go, and you get yourself that $17 sandwich where you're going to think it's too much, and that's the devil's lie. <laughs> Jesus spoke about Cat's Deli. 
He said there was a man who went and found a treasure buried in the field. And when he found it, he went and sold everything he had, and he went back and he bought that field so he could get that sandwich. It's in the Bible. So we're down there, and we're trying to get down there because we live north of New York City. We're down there trying to, to get, I want my sandwich. You see what I'm saying? No, I really do. The, uh, the sandwich is as thick as this table. I'm telling you, it's just wonderful. And they make their own pickles and black cherries. So, oh, my word. So anyway, we're, we're trying to get through this traffic in the minivan, which I think this was, I think we'd just gotten that van. So I'm also, you know, thinking, if they scratch it, Tanya kills me dead, buries me, digs me back up, kills me dead again. So that's the benefit of believing in the resurrection. You get to kill your husband twice if he dents your car. So we got trucks coming at us from every single angle. And one, not kidding, five angles, we've got trucks coming at us as we're coming up out of this tunnel into another part of Manhattan, and there's just everything. And this guy in an international harvester asked me why I know what his logo said in the back window. And he's this far from us the entire tr- time. And he keeps trying to edge, you know. And I can only move a half an inch at a time. And he wants to move two inches at a time, you know. It's that sort of a thing. I'm like, we're running out of breathing room here. Patience. Life feels like that kind of traffic, doesn't it? You've got somebody trying to get at you from this way. Somebody's trying to get at you from this way. You know where you want to go. You know that there's a right away, and you ain't got it sometimes. And yet... Here they come, and they're pushing and pushing and pushing, and you just think sometimes, my goodness, they're just going to absolutely crush us. He says, you were able to be in that kind of a situation, and you're getting through it. He says, church, I'm proud of you. He says, I know that you feel like you are a little thing in a big world, and let me tell you, You in a van, you might feel like signs trying to park it, that that's a big thing. But you get squished between all these trucks, suddenly you feel very, very tiny. They felt that way. You're small and you're tiny, but you're overcoming. He says, because you have been so faithful, because you were able to withstand all of that pressure because of your faith in me, all you've got to do is hold on. You hold on. Because I'm going to protect you from the stuff that goes on, from, from the judgment that's coming on, on Rome and the judgment that's coming on all this idolatry around you and the judgment that's coming on these persecutors that claim to be something that they're not. You hold on because I've got your back. You are mine and that's not going to change. What a great message for that little church. What a wonderful thing them to hear. This song is uh, called, I think I mentioned it before, but I actually found the slides finally. It's called uh, Little as Much When God is in It. And I thought we'd try it this morning because it really speaks both to that church and I think in a lot of ways to ours. We can feel like, you know, well, what can a small church do? How much impact will we really make? Do we make an eternal impact? And Jesus' answer to us would be the same as the answer to Philadelphia, Yes. The question isn't how many have you got, how full are your seats, or how, how big is it? That's always the question that preachers ask when they find out a preacher's from a certain place. I don't do that. I never ask another preacher, so how big is your church? I think that's dumb. It's kind of like somebody walks up and you say, so what size tires your truck got? Man, what an awkward, well, this is weird. Who does that? So, I know, but people do it. Jesus 
would never have responded to those well. There were times he had just 12, and he wasn't real sure about all of them. You know, he wasn't worried about numbers. He was worried about salvation and impact. And that's what he went after. But it was a it was an up and a down thing, just like it is for us in our life, too. But look at these words. We'll read the first verse and then come back and, and try to sing it. It's pretty simple. In the harvest field, now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Let's, let's try this. In the harvest field, no Oh, 
And that's what he told this church. He says, don't let anybody try and tell you that they will steal your crown. Don't let anything come along that will knock this out of your hands because you really do have this. Verse 11, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And then he makes promises like he does to every church. To the one who conquers, you will be a pillar in the temple of God. Now that might not so much speak to us. What does that mean to be a pillar? Is that like a pillar of the community? What's he talking about? In ancient Greece and in ancient Asia, you had different temples. This one's in Athens because the one in Philadelphia is dust. But this gives us an idea of what the one in in Philadelphia would have looked like and what it would have been in their head. Okay, this is the Erechtheum on the Acropolis of Athens. And you can kind of see here, of course, that there are pillars. But one of the images they would have had in their heads is these pillars that were over here to the right, which were actually statues of these, these sisters, ladies. And what he's giving them is this image. See, the world is saying that this is where it's all at. That, the, that the, the gods who are worshipped in these temples are the real gods. And what they know and what they believe is that there is one true living God. And that He is the only God that they will serve. They know that there is only one who lived and died and rose again. And it is He that speaks to them through this letter. And He says to them, You could chase after something that is nothing but rock and will one day crumble and be nothing but ruins on what used to be prime real estate. Dust, rocks, and ashes. Or you can hold on. And I will make you a real pillar in the temple of my God. And I will write on you the name of my God. And I will write on you the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven. I will let you dwell in my city and not just in my city. I will let you be a part of the temple of the living God. You'll never have to leave. You are a permanent fixture of my temple. Pillars don't go. Nobody will ever be able to, to tempt you away scare you away, judge you away. You will be in my home and in my temple. You will bear God's name, the name of His city, and the temple of His God. And all this is language that ought to be even familiar if you're not familiar with Revelation, but you are with more of the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, he uses very, very similar language. Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. And he's kind of a reference to far away, usually meant to those of you who are Gentiles, those who were near, those who were brought up in Israel. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, peace to those who were near. For through Him we both, Jew and Gentile alike, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, because He has called all of us to Himself, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Do you feel the same kind of pulling you in? You're citizens. You're a part of His country. You're a part of His city. That's getting one circle in, right? You're a part of His household. You're further circle in. What else do you say? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone in Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? 
a holy temple of the Lord. He says to you, every single one of us can identify with the promise given to Philadelphia because we are being built into a living temple of the living God. If you hold on, you don't just get to live in His country, the kingdom of God. You don't just get to live in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. He says, I am calling you right up to my front porch. Those pillars right at the front porch of that temple, the image that Jesus chose to use to describe His promise to them of security and salvation was prominent, wasn't it? He didn't say you get to be the closet door at the back of the building. He didn't say you get to be the flush handle on the men's room at the temple of God's house. Although, to be quite honest, compared to hell, I will take being the flush handle in the temple of God. Okay, And some of you would think that's probably quite appropriate, but that's fine. The, and it probably is. But he says, I'm so proud of you, Church of Philadelphia. I'm so proud of you. I'm going to put you as the pillars right out there at the front because you've endured. You have lived such a life of faith. I want people to see your example. And he says the same thing to you. You go through things that may, when you measure the pressure you're under, may be just like what they went through. may not be persecution from a, from a religion or a false religion or an idolatry or a world government, but it may be pressure put on you by family, put on you by work, put on you by circumstances, and you're patiently enduring. Hold on. Because this is the promise to you too. Everything on that list that's there for them is yours. You will be a temple of the living God. You'll never leave. You'll bear God's name permanently emblazoned on you. Kind of like, you know, you put in the front of your books from the library of, right there on your forehead. This, this person, this man, this woman, this soul, this child of God belongs to and whose name is going to be right there. There are so many things that we could wrongly put there. This soul belongs to and where you work. This soul belongs to and where you went to school. This soul belongs to and some person who's overbearing and manipulation and controls your life. This soul belongs to 7 o'clock TV. This soul belongs to... How many things could we put there? But the church in Philadelphia had their priorities right. He says, even though you're little, little is much when God is in it. And he says to them, and I am in you, and you are in me, and it will be that way for eternity. If you need to make sure today that, that this soul belongs to is filled in with Jesus Christ. You know, we do that by confessing Him as our Lord, putting our faith in Him, being buried with Him, and being raised with Him, being made His own, being clothed in Christ, as Galatians puts it. That's how we do that. If it's time for you to be baptized, then it's time. If you're a Christian that you don't know that you can, that that's the letter that you would get. Maybe you're afraid you'd get in, get, you would have gotten last week's or maybe next week's. It doesn't have to be that way. 
I'm sure Philadelphia had people in it that were really struggling with endurance, really struggling with having the right priorities and putting God first. To them too, he said, no, my door is open. I'm the one who holds the keys and I want you to come in. And he says the same thing to you. If you need to rededicate yourself this morning, recommit yourself to life in the kingdom, we give you an opportunity as we stand and as we sing.